We read this morning in Psalms that the Lord is with us. That's what the psalmist told us. The Lord is is with us. Does it always feel like the Lord is is with you? I mean, I know you know that intellectually, but there's always do you always have that bubbling up to the surface of your heart? The Lord is with me. And I would say that you could probably look at your life and find circumstances where you say, yeah, I mean, I mean, when God answers a specific prayer or you go through a specifically difficult time, you sense that the Lord is, is with you. But what about at those moments when, when things aren't going so well or when God seems silent or when the Lord asks you to wait on Him? The theme of our singing this morning is, is the promises of God and hoping in the promises of God. And we talked about standing upon the solid rock and resting in God's promises. And Carrie just, just sang to us about trusting in, in God. There's times when life is, is perplexing. Um, I mean, it seems at times that you, you have it figured out and, and you start down a, down a path and then it takes a turn and, and you realize that you're not even close to understanding the, the, the twists and, and turns. You've heard the statement, maybe you've made it, the, the more I learn about God or about His Word, the less I really know that, that I know. Um, life's similar to that. Whenever you're young, you think you've got it all figured out and you've got the trajectory set, and then you start walking down that path and, and a, a turn happens here, a tree comes there, a flat tire there, and, and it, it's really difficult at times to grasp it. Seasons change. Um, if you master one season of life, another season quickly is, is on its heels. You go from, from high school, and once you figure out the ropes of high school, you're a senior, and then you graduate, and you're off to the real world, as they, as they say. Maybe college, maybe employment, and then from there to children, and from children to, to different phases of child's time and development in your home, to the empty nest, to the world would say retirement, but Christians really never retire. But the point is there's different seasons of, of life, and life continually changes. Tracy has, has joked with me many times that, that as a parent, when you, just whenever you begin to get a clue about parenting the, the kids out of that phase or grows up, and I mean, it seems like when you know what you're doing, it's too late. At that point, they're already grown up and gone. And it feels that way in a lot of seasons of, in life. It's, it's fluid. It's constantly changing. But God declares from His Word, I am the Lord God, I change not. Isn't that a comforting statement? When life changes, you have a God that is constant and, and never changes. His Word is constant, and it never changes. It is, it is relevant because it's transcendent. The same truths that believers held to a thousand years ago, the same truths that Israel held to it to thousands of years prior to that, and those are the same truths that you can, that you can hang on today. And, and while life might be hard to understand, the way you make sense out of it is looking through the lens of Scripture you may think of, of this crystallizing statement. When God's Word becomes clear, life becomes clear. Life doesn't make sense apart from God. And interpreting life with God doesn't make sense apart from looking to the Scriptures 
I mean, that's what faith is. Faith is not just being really sincere or getting psyched up or, or, or getting really excited about something. Faith is believing the words of God rather than fill in the blank, anything else. The way you feel, the way life is going, the way it seems. It's trusting in the words of God. It's, it's governing your life. It's making choices and decisions based upon the words of God, what God has declared, regardless of what it looks like at the moment. Now, eventually, your circumstances will catch up with what God has promised. But that's where we get into the, into the difficulty, isn't it? God declares something, He makes a promise, but that promise is not going to be fulfilled for another year or another five years or whenever it gets into eternity. But it will be fulfilled. And because of God's character, you can trust in Him, in him regardless of, of the timing. That's why as, as believers we're, we're told to renew our minds and why we, we try to explain the Word in in, in church. This past week, uh, it, it just... You, you know, you become a Christian and you're a believer for an extended period of time and there are things you know and then you're reminded by, uh, you know, through experiences. I was reminded this past week of just how life does not make sense unless you know Christ. And, and, and you really do not have a guide. You are like sheep without a shepherd. You're truly lost if you don't look to God's Word. And, and they're just, they're these men, and, and they've made decisions in their life, just like I've made decisions, and they're trying to figure it all out, and, and they're, they're, they're really groping in the darkness as I'm listening to them, witnessing to them, and they're, they're beginning to open up about the troubles and difficulty in their life. You just see it's like a blind man just, just grabbing for anything, and... and Whenever there's something that gives them just a, a spark of hope, they run after that only to find a, a, a dead end. And, and now they're sitting there really at a, at a moment when their guard's down, being willing to say what they think every night whenever they lay down. And it's, you know, I really don't have it figured out. And life doesn't make sense. And, I, and you know, help me. What do I do? And you just, you're just reminded how blessed we are that God makes things make sense and his word is a is a sure is a sure guide and it's like one of those experiences where jesus looks out over the masses and 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 they are like sheep without a shepherd people think that that's freedom people think that that life without god is freedom and and that to be able to make your own choices and be the captain of your own soul is freedom. But that's not freedom. That's, that's slavery. Freedom comes whenever you, whenever you find your master. Freedom comes whenever you find your creator and whenever you're fully submitted to him because he's good and he always knows best. And the Bible tells us that. But there are times when that truth is there, but it grows dim in our, in our hearts. I thought of a message that I preached years ago about Gideon, about the danger of interpreting your circumstances, interpreting God based on your circumstances rather than interpreting your circumstances based on, on God. And this past week, I, I picked up a, a pair of binoculars and just I was trying to look at something and 
and I picked up the pair of binoculars, and it was really like if you'd have had a video camera there, it would have been one of those hilarious moments because I, I had them upside down, backwards. You know, I was looking through the end. And of course, I immediately figured it out because it didn't magnify things. It made things a whole lot smaller, but you look really stupid, you know? And of course, certain people laughed at me greatly whenever that happened. No names mentioned, Dan Summers. But I just thought about that it's the same way with life. If you don't look at life through the lens of Scripture, you can make, you can make it out, you can see things, but, but it, 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 looks, it looks the opposite of what, what God intends. You look through the lens of Scripture and it magnifies God and it makes sense out of things and you can see life clearly. But if you do the opposite, you can make out an image, but it's really, really far away and you keep walking in that direction and, and you will look silly. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, life won't make sense at all. If you, if you know Christ, and yet you don't interpret God and circumstances through His Word, or you try to go it alone, it won't make sense either. Um, what if you know both of those things? What if you know Christ as your Savior, and what if you are... You know God's got the answers in His Word. What, what, if, what if that happens and you're still in a situation where, where it's unclear? What if God asks you to wait? What if God asks you to trust? What if pieces are, are all around you and, and you, don't, you, know, you don't have a... You can't find the silver lining. You're still trying to work through the... You know, the, the broken pieces. I mean, we know what the issue is if we don't know the Lord. We know what the issue is if we're a Christian and we're not looking in the right direction. But, but what about when you do that and it's still unclear and you have to wait? In those cases, God would say that we must trust His character. I want to help you with that this morning in the book of Isaiah. And I could go to a number of places, but I'm going to take you to a familiar passage in Isaiah 40. So open your Bibles to Isaiah 40. Here is a passage where God is speaking comfort to His people. And if you look at Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1, Isaiah says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. And yet, while Isaiah, the prophet, speaking on behalf of God, is making these statements, saying, comfort, yes, comfort, my people, the people are not comforted. <laughs> They're in a very bad way. They're in very difficult circumstances. And so, here is the prophet of God saying, God is speaking comfort to you, and they're looking around going, I don't feel very comforted. My circumstances are not very comfortable. And yet you're going to see where Isaiah points them. They are required to wait. The character of God runs far ahead of the circumstances of His people. Let me repeat that. There are a number of times in your Christian life where the character of God will run far ahead of what it feels or what it seems or the circumstances around you and in those moments, where you put your eyes will depend upon where you, whether your knees get wobbly, whether you fall, or whether you lose hope. 
we're called to wait upon the Lord in probably far more, far greater number of circumstances than than, than you think. Um, we wait for eternal rewards, don't you? I mean, you serve your whole life. Yeah, there's blessings that come, but there's the beam of seed of Christ that's coming, and and you wait on it. You wait on a new body, and your body is not getting better. It's 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 winding down, and so. The reality of, of the of the of your waiting becomes more and more real the longer that you live. We wait on heaven. We we wait on judgment that's going to come to all. You may be asked, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. How can that person get by with that? When is God going to do something about that? And and you have to wait. The character of God, the promises of God run far ahead of of our timing and maybe even our circumstances. And that's what's happening here in in Isaiah 40. And we're no different from the Israelites. Do you like to wait? I hate to wait. I do. And it seems like the older I get, the less I enjoy waiting, if that's possible. I, I don't know. You know, you want answers now, solutions immediately. Yeah, we talked about this before. Uh, do you get... Frustrated waiting on a bag of microwave popcorn three minutes. I mean, I gotta wait three minutes for my popcorn. I remember when my dad used to put the popcorn in the pan with peanut oil and put the lid on and shake it on the burner. Do you remember that? How long that took, and then you have to clean all that up. You just throw the bag away. Now, give pre-cooked chicken, fast food as it's called, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But you can't expect the Lord to operate on the same timetable or even our timetable. And when He doesn't answer, you can't accuse Him of not caring or or being calloused to our needs, even though that's what our hearts do. Um, Waiting is hard, period. But, But when times are hard, it gets even more difficult. And yet, in those difficult times when God glorifies Himself the most. Well, the passage we're going to look at in Isaiah 40 is verses 27 through 31. It's the end. I'll give you an overview, but but let's just read this text. And you hear the comfort in the very first verses that the prophet is speaking to people. The circumstances that they're in doesn't feel very comfortable. And look at what they're saying to God in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And here's His promises. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's happening in Israel is comfort is being spoken by the prophets. Their circumstances look different, and they're in their hearts accusing God of not paying attention. 
in not adjudicating their prayers and their claims. And what led them here wasn't even God's doing. It was their own sin. I mean, Judah had developed great prosperity under King Uzziah. It had a strong economy, a very powerful military, but they are spiritually flatlined. Sound familiar? And while they had great wealth and all of those other protections, they were spiritually naked before God. And Isaiah has already prophesied judgment in chapters 1 through 35. And then in chapters 36 and 39, he gives some historical perspective of of what's going on. And then here in chapter 40, Isaiah begins to declare the future deliverance, future deliverance of Israel from captivity, but it hasn't happened yet. He declares where their turning from God would lead them, what they will say about the Lord when the problems came, and then God's response. And what I want to show you this morning is God's response. Those who turn from God would be delivered, but right now they're waiting on that deliverance. And while they're waiting on that deliverance, Isaiah points them and points us where you're supposed to look, where they're supposed to look. In Isaiah 40, this dialogue begins. Judah accuses the Lord of not caring. They accuse him their suffering and injustice escapes God's notice and that God doesn't seem to care. And the Lord answers in these verses that I just read, that we just read. And he says some very encouraging things. Now, if you have a child that is ungrateful, what is your heart tempted to do? Now, I don't mean one that is just a knothead. We all have kids that are knotheads. I guess all of our kids are knotheads. But I mean the ones that are ungrateful. What rises up in your heart? I mean, when they, they just... It just feels like that they give you the backhand. They're, they just don't care. I mean, what, tempts, what you're tempted to, to feel and think is, don't you understand what I sacrificed for you? I mean, I carried you around. If you're a woman, I carried you around for nine months. I gave birth to you. You know, I forget who the comedian, uh, was it Mark Lowry's mother, said, you need to remember I brought you into this world and I could take you out too, right? I mean, that's the way it feels when they're ungrateful. And that's the way we're tempted to respond to our children, but that's not the way God responds to us when we're ungrateful. Israel's circumstances were brought about by their own sin. And God allows them to be found in these circumstances for their own good, but He's never forsaken them. And yet they're accusing the Lord. And rather than smacking them down, and rather than saying to them, hey, you you made this bed, you're going to have to lie in it. That's not what the Lord says. He would have every right to do that. He would have every right to rebuke their accusations. But He points them to His character. Have you not known? In verse 28, have you not heard? And then He immediately goes into His character. He points them to His character and goodness and says, wait, trust in Me. Rest in who I am. And if you do, although you may not like what you're facing, you'll have some very precious promises. And as I just read verses 28 through uh, 27 through 31, I find there are three illustrations that the Lord uses here, three instances when we're asked to wait upon the Lord and where He points us. And I think it's it's very helpful. And the first instance is when 
you're asked to wait when there seems like there is no answer, He points us to His character. He points us to His character and He promises to act. If waiting is hard, waiting a long time is even harder. And waiting when you, when you don't know how long has to be the hardest. And there are times in life when, when we have a care or distress and it seems like there's no answer from the Lord. And the Lord says, wait. How long we say, and He just says, wait. And that's what's happening in verse 27. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed over? I mean, here's Judah. And they're saying, why don't you do something, God? What is God doing in my life? What is God doing in the world? Why do the wicked seem to reign? Why do bad things happen to innocent people? Why don't you do something, God? That's what we're saying. Lord, don't you see what I'm going through? Why don't you do something? We're saying the same thing that that Judah is saying and Israel is saying. My way is hidden from the Lord. Lord, don't you know what's going on? And God says, I promise you my character. You can trust in me. God says, I do know. And I have done something. And the ultimate answer to what he's done is... Is, is waiting, it requires waiting as well. The ultimate answer to, to evil is the resurrection and the new creation. I mean, God did do something about evil into the world. God didn't make this mess. We did, just like Israel here. God's not the author of sin. Man is. And he, yet He entered into the world and made a way out of it, and that way is Christ through the resurrection. But in this world, you will have trouble and you will have tribulation and you're to be in the world but not of the world and you're waiting for that resurrection and we're waiting for that new creation. And God points us in those circumstances the same place He points Israel. There are no innocent people. There are no good people. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's no good people. There's no good people. There's a good God who intervenes for wicked people. And he intervened and he took that sin upon himself and he opened the door to a true life and, and the day is coming, but you have, to, you have to wait on it. You ever been in a situation that's bad and you've prayed and you're doing the right things and it seems like God is doing nothing and, and you say, God, don't you care? And you think he's not hearing me. God's hearing you. And in those moments, he's pointing you to himself, to his character, not to the answer. I mean, there are times when God answers immediately and you glorify Him because of the answer. But when He doesn't answer, you glorify Him for who He is. And it gives you an opportunity to trust in, in who He is. Just because we don't see results doesn't mean God didn't hear and that He's inactive. God is always active. He's always going before us. And yet sometimes it's a long time. I, I know of a woman who prayed 25 years for her husband who was wicked and one day he came to church and got saved. 25 years she prayed for him. Do you think somewhere in that 25 years she began to say, Lord, my way is hidden from you. <laughs> my claim has been passed over by you. And yet she'll find herself reminding herself, God, you're good. And you don't desire my husband to be in this situation. She would pray. Look at what God says about himself. Look at verse 28. 
He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? It's a rhetorical question. Of course they had heard. This is Israel. This is God's people. I mean, there's a history. They have a history with God. You have a history with God. Has God ever let you down? Whenever you're looking to the future and you don't know what's going to happen, you can look to the past and God has never let you down. Have you not heard? Have you not known? Of course they had. And then he begins to talk about himself. The, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. God is everlasting. He's, he's eternal. There's not a beginning or an end to Him. You'll never have to worry about God not being somewhere in your future or that God wasn't somewhere in your past or that God's not with you right now because God is eternal. He, he is. He's the creator of the, he, of, of the ends of the earth. I mean, He's already there. He, he's already ordained. He's already declared. He knows. He has power over it. We heard in the Psalms this morning, the, the voice of the Lord speaks and the mountains melt. And He says He never faints. God never faints or is, or is weary. He's eternal, past, present, and future. He's the Creator. He's the one who's intervened in the past, present, and future. He's the one who declares the end from the beginning. He knows he has power over it, and he also never faints or is weary. There's his character, but, but his character never wears out. His abilities never wear out. Nothing you ask will fail due to him giving up or growing tired as if he is unable to do. He points us to who he is and his character, not his not his circumstances. Found a couple things in a file folder, one of which was this illustration about a little boy who has the right perspective. It said a man approached a, a Little League baseball game one afternoon and he asked a boy in the dugout what was the score and the boy responded, 18 to nothing and we're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I bet you're discouraged. The little boy said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even gotten up to bat yet. It may be 18 to nothing. But God hadn't got up to bat yet. Do you think when God gets up to bat, He's going to win the game? You better believe He's going to win the game. But you may be right now in the middle of the dugout, and it's 18 to nothing. And God is pointing us to the, to the hope of the little boy in that illustration. He's pointing... Israel and Judah and us to, to his own character. And that's where you have hope. It's not in the score of the game. It's in the one who's promised that the game has already won. It's already won. God's already got the victory. And you're just waiting on the end. You wait on the Lord when it seems like there's, there's no answer. And you trust Him because he, he points you to His character. I find in here that, that He also gives a second instance. And that's when we're weak. And when we're weak, He promises His strength. When it doesn't seem like there's, there's an answer, He points us to His character. When we're weak, He promises strength. Look at verse 29. God, in verse 28, neither faints nor is weary. 
but we sure do. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. I mean, clearly, there's a contrast. The Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And He gives that power, the power of the everlasting God, the power of the Creator, to those who are weak and to those who have no might, He increases strength. The Lord asks the weak and the weary to wait upon Him because He promises to give them strength. And there are times when you get weak. There's times of trial. There's times of work. And the Lord promises help and and strength in those moments. Another illustration. Some years ago, there was a there was a speedboat operator who had survived a racing accident and. He said when he got near to top speeds, his boat veered slightly and hit a wave at a dangerous angle. And the combined force of his speed and the size of the boat and the angle of the wave sent the boat spinning crazily into the air, threw him from his seat, and it propelled him deeply into the water. I mean, just, he, he went, he can't see the surface. So deep that he had no idea which direction the surface was. He had to remain calm and wait for his life jacket to pull him in the right direction. I mean, he's totally disoriented. He doesn't know up from down. And the only thing that he could do is wait until the life jacket that he had on began to pull him in the right direction. And then he could begin to swim in that direction. But there's this moment when he's underwater, he's knocked out of breath, that the only thing that he can do is wait for the life jacket to pull him in the right direction, and then he can start swimming. But if he starts swimming, then the life jacket doesn't have the opportunity to give him, to pull him in the right, the right direction. He doesn't know which way is up. The guy who made the illustration said, sometimes we feel ourselves surrounding by confusing options, too deeply immersed in our problems to know which way is up, and... When that happens, we must remain calm, waiting on God to pull us in the proper direction. And our life vest is is the Scriptures, maybe other Christians, and recognizing our dependency upon the Lord and and waiting on, on Him. That's hard to do, isn't it? Because in that moment, you want to flail around and you rest... And that happens a lot of times whenever we're weak. It can be confusing. And and this man waited and leaned on the life jacket, his source of help. And and I just want to say to you that, that going through life, think about that man in that illustration. He already had a life jacket. The life jacket was on before he crashed. You say on a regular basis, I can't imagine going through that without the Lord. There are many people that go through life without the life jacket on. And when they're disoriented in that moment, they don't have anything on to pull them in the right direction. And you need at those moments to try to rescue them. But don't think that you're going to go through life and cry out to God or find God or know what to do in in those situations if, if you don't already know Him. Trust Him now. Because the boat's going to crash at some point. And you need that 
life vest. I also want you to notice in 29, look what he says. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. He talks about strength and power. Strength is what we need whenever we're tired. Power is what we need when we, when we don't have ability to do something. You run out of energy, and God replenishes that energy. And there are other things that you face that you don't have the ability to overcome it, and you know you don't have the ability to overcome it, and God promises ability in those situations. There's another time when we're asked to wait upon the Lord that He gives in this passage, and it seems like an odd time. And it's a, it's a faint echo in verse 30. And that's when we're strong. The third instance I think you can see here is, is we're asked to wait upon the Lord when we're strong. And when, when that happens, He promises weakness. Interesting. Look at verse 30. Now here is, He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, He increases strength. And then he says, even the youths faint, shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. He points them to a point in life which seems like there should be plenty of energy, but he says, even youths faint. Even the ones who are strong and seem strong and think they're strong will ultimately wear out. They're even going to faint and be weary. And young men shall utterly, utterly fall. The picture of a youth and young men represents strength. And so here is Israel. Whenever God doesn't seem to answer, God points them to His character. He reminds them when that, that God is the one that whenever you're weak, He gives power and He gives strength. When, he's, when you're weak, He gives you strength to keep going. When you're unable, He gives you power to do what it is that, that is in front of you. And when... You're strong. He reminds us not to trust in our own strength. There are times in life when we think we're strong. And when we're like that, we need to be reminded of our weakness, don't we? You ever seen somebody just bumping along on top of the world and you know that they're headed for a fall because they're trusting in their own strength? Youth proves... Ignorance is not bliss because ultimately it catches up with you. I mean, you, you, you think whenever you're young, you think whenever you enter something, you think before experience sobers you that you're bulletproof and, and that, that everything's going to work out fine. And if you just do A plus B, C is going to happen and blessing is always going to come. And that's not always the way that it works. I never will forget the sight of a, of a man laying lifeless in the middle of double lines on a highway at 2.30 in the morning. A drunk who was dead. And he never sat out that night to die. And what sobered me, no pun intended, was I was doing the same thing the very night that this man is laying there in the middle of the road at 2.30 in the morning. And I never set out that night to die, and neither did that man. Be careful whenever you think you stand, lest you fall, the Bible says. 
One of the most dangerous times in our life is whenever we're strong, when self-confidence brims, when we feel no weakness. And that is, that's echoed in this youth and these young men. Because when we feel no weakness, then it's easy to feel no need of Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am, then I am strong. There was, a, there was a deer drinking at a pool of water, and as he looked into the water, he was admiring his, his stately antlers, and he could also see his little spindly legs. And suddenly... He heard an approaching mountain lion and those spindly legs propelled him into safety in the forest and those stately antlers became caught in the underbrush and the mountain lion overtook him. What's the moral of that? The deer thought the antlers was what was most important and to be admired and the very thing that, that he thought was unhelpful and was undesirable is the very thing that got him out of the trouble. Our strength we think is, is what's to be exalted, but God says it's our weakness. God implies that He allows weakness to come and He allows to run out of our strength so we can rest in, in Him. Look at verse 31. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Renew their strength? Yeah, because the young men who were strong, who trusted in themselves, ran out of strength, and they need strength, but it's the right kind of strength. It's God's strength. He warns, not just our strength will fail, but but other strength will fail. Young men in generally shall fail. The youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men, plural, shall utterly fall. You cannot trust in human strength, yours or someone else's. Um, you can't trust man's wisdom. You can trust in God, though. Just look to God and trust only in His character, even if you're required to wait and there doesn't seem an answer. You trust God whenever you're weak. You trust God whenever you're whenever you're strong. And he says, those, in verse 31, who wait upon the Lord shall renew their, their strength. What does, what does waiting mean? What does waiting look like? Well, waiting means you're trusting in Him. Waiting means you're expecting Him to do something. Waiting doesn't just mean sit around and twiddle your thumbs and do nothing. Waiting means that you're trusting in God for the solution, not some false sense of security to fix it. Waiting means you're expecting Him to do something. Don't wait defeated. Even when the wicked seem to reign, wait in hope. You're awaiting the return of Christ with a resolution. You're waiting for God to intervene in a situation. And you do that with victorious hope. 
You don't fear the one who can kill the body, but you fear the one who can kill the body and cast the soul into hell. And that same one who has already given himself for you and promised eternal life. Waiting on the Lord means you're relying on him. Waiting on the Lord in those circumstances meaning that you're going to trust in his character and trust in his words even though your circumstances may be different. Even if your circumstances show your strength. Even if your circumstances circumstances show your weakness. Even if your circumstances show that it doesn't seem like you have an answer. Waiting is active. It's full-fledged trust in the Lord. And when that happens, there's a wonderful promise. Look at verse 31 again. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The Lord will renew your strength. The word expresses an exchange. He will exchange your weakness. He'll exchange the trust in your own power. He'll exchange the the seeming non-existent answer. He'll exchange that for His strength. If you wait upon Him and look to Him, He'll exchange your weakness for His omnipotence. And look at the climax of of this threefold statement. You shall mount up with wings like eagles. You shall run and not be weary. You shall walk and not faint. Now look at that progression. The climax in that progression is walking, not flying. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. There's the flying part. You'll run and not be weary. You'll walk and not faint. It looks like it's going in the wrong direction. Okay? You've got to crawl before you walk. That's the statement. You would think it says walking and then running and then flying, but he does it in the opposite direction. There's the times of the exceptional. That's the flying. There's the times of the occasional. That's the running. But then there's the times of the constants, the daily grind. And there's an overflowing stream of grace. Where do you look for God? In the exceptional? Oh, God's in the exceptional. He's a supernatural God. He can change you from a sinner to a saint. There are other times when when you've got the hammer down and things are happening and it's great and you're running and you're at full steam and is God in the midst of that? Yes, He is. But the Christian life is is between the bed in the morning and the bed in the evening. The Christian life is where the rubber meets the road. The Christian life is, is every day whenever you're washing dishes or you're getting up to go to work or you're dealing with your child again or there's another... Whatever, fill in the blank. It's in the mundane where this this threefold promise ends. You shall walk and not faint. You put one foot in front of the other and you'll not wear out. You need God's omnipotent strength for life. (laughs) You can't have it if if you don't turn to Him and trust. But if you do, He'll exchange your weakness for His strength. Sit by your heads. I was looking through a folder and I just want you to meditate on this poem that I'm going to read you. You know the man who wrote it. Tom Showalter. It's a poem that he wrote gave to me a long time ago. He wrote it on 
October the 29th, 1977. Keep on keeping on. Are you oftentimes heavy laden, burdened with a load of care, feeling that you cannot carry that which God has given you to bear? Do you feel also discouraged when you face the task at hand? When all you tried to do has failed no matter how hard you worked and planned? When others seemingly do not care about the things you do? Each one going his own way, leaving it all to you? Then you need to pause and think and pray, giving the Lord your load to bear. He is strong and ever near, awaiting your load to share. The harvest is great, the laborers are few, and for centuries it has been so. Nothing new, but we like to think we alone, this condition know. But as we pause and seek His face, to our hearts His soft whisper will say, Keep on keeping on, Christian. This is my will for you today. Brother Tom speaks at that point from the authority of Scripture. And he surely speaks to us from this page today, having gone on to his reward. The problem of the human heart is unfixable by man. But God has promised based upon His character, whether you're strong or whether you're weak, or whether it doesn't seem like He cares, that He will move. And you'll find the answers in Christ. Will you turn to Him today? Father, as we come before You, Lord, this message that You have prompted me to preach is for me. It's no doubt for others. I don't claim to know hearts, but you do. And you knew why you wanted this, your word, to be shared this morning. And so I pray, even right now, I pray for every Christian that's here, Father, that may be struggling with discouragement, that may be struggling with circumstances. I pray for those who are weak. Lord, I pray for those who are strong, those who think that they're standing and they're not looking to you. Father, help us to find hope in your character. Help us to do exactly what Brother Tom encouraged us to do. Stop, think, and pray. Father, I pray for every person here this morning that maybe doesn't know Christ. Life is not going to make any sense until they find you. Life is not going to make any sense until they repent and believe and you have provided the way if they will look to Christ. Father, oh, I pray today that they would come to You. Thank You for being so good. Thank You even when we're ungrateful and we're, we're selfish children that You don't smack us down, but You just point us to Your character and Your goodness. Do that even again today. Oh, Lord, You're so kind. You're, you're so loving. Encourage our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.